Hi, Maggie. How are you holding up in these crazy, it seems like things getting crazier every day? Yeah, so I'm feeling really inspired today, actually, despite all of the horrible things in the news, because of these people that go to prison and get activated and and inspired to change for others. Yeah, these are people who've been through hell and come out carrying buckets of water for the mm. people that they left behind. Absolutely. I mean, I don't blame people who get out and say, I want to forget all of it and live a normal life, whatever that might be for them. But I really do think that change comes from those who have experienced what happened and know what goes on. And I think that's so incredible and beautiful and inspiring. If you're innocent and you're fighting, don't stop fighting. We understand you. We hear you. We're going to wreck this system. From Lava for Good, this is Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling. Today, Ken Nixon. On May 19, 2005, 19-year-old Ken Nixon was having a relaxing evening at home in Detroit with his girlfriend LaToya and their baby son. The night slipped away as normally as it could for the new parents, until the early hours of the morning when suddenly the police busted in. About three blocks away that same night, someone had thrown a Molotov cocktail at a second-floor window of a home, killing two children. The other people in the building were able to escape, and one of them said the person he saw throw the homemade bomb was Ken. But Ken and LaToya both say they were home at her house. Both her aunt and her neighbor say Ken never left the house that night. But regardless, Ken wound up being tried for arson and for the murders of both children. I was thinking that they're going to figure this out. I was thinking logic was going to make its way to the surface. I was thinking that the system was going to work the way that it was supposed to. Never did I imagine that the end result would be a guilty verdict. My name is Kenneth Nixon. I spent 16 years incarcerated for a crime that I did not commit. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. 
The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Ken Nixon was born in Lincoln Park, Michigan, to Tracy Nixon and Kenneth Palmer. Ken didn't know his biological dad growing up and was raised by his mom and stepdad. He's the oldest of four kids. Family was really close. I have cousins that were more like siblings than they were actual cousins. And I had a pretty fun childhood, um, middle-class upbringing, magnet schools. Always enjoyed school. Sports playing up, growing up was, you know, something that I enjoyed doing. Neighborhood wasn't bad, not much violence, not, you know, a horrible area. We went to school as a group. Um, We met on the corner. Everybody met at the same time. It was somebody's parents' responsibility to make sure that everybody made it to the corner. There were checkpoints that when we passed, somebody's parent reported to the other parents. It was a community where everyone watched out for each other, and Ken appreciated that. He had a fun childhood, but growing up, Ken was also academically driven and had higher ambitions. I always wanted to be the first in my family to graduate college. Um, I learned very early on that not many of my family members on either side had actually graduated, and I wanted to be the first to do so. Ken wanted to be an entrepreneur, and his mom, Tracy, says Ken absolutely could have achieved that dream. Ken was smarter than the average kid in the neighborhood. Um, The older kids looked up to him. They respected him because his mental was beyond theirs. Um, he, He flourished in everything. You know, I at two, I started calling him the golden child. Ken was smart and also incredibly responsible. And I was that mother that would put a candle in every room of the house. And time to go to bed, he would blow them out. So I would wake up. Who blew out my candles? Why are my candles not burning? And he would say, well, my, that's hot. If it breaks and catch on fire, then what? By ninth grade, Ken was also doing typical teenage things like dating, and he fell in love with his friend from elementary school, LaToya Calford. LaToya and Ken were dating for a few years when she got pregnant. So after the 11th grade, Ken dropped out of school to help LaToya. Just nine days after Ken turned 18, the high school sweethearts had their son. They named him Keon. Ken was under pressure to take care of his family, so he helped start a business, a towing company. On May 19, 2005, just three months after his business was up and running, Ken was having a relaxing night home with LaToya and their now one-year-old son. My son was on my chest. We were in the bedroom, and, you know, I hear the door smash in, and, you know, it's quick seconds before you can react. The bedroom door comes swinging open, and the very first thing you see is a flashlight and a shotgun. 
and instinctively I reached to shield him. And as I reached to shield him, the first officer yells, baby, baby, baby. Another officer grabs Keon off of Ken, and the next thing Ken knows, he's being thrown onto the ground, handcuffed, and Keon is screaming. The most memorable moment of that night is my son screaming like that. That will, that come help me scream that only a kid can give you. And to be powerless in that moment as all of these cops are here. I mean, there's, there's moments where I still hear him screaming in my head. That's something you never forget, that powerless moment where your kid is screaming for your assistance and there's nothing you can do about it. Absolutely nothing. So when you get picked up, they're saying what to you? They actually didn't say anything. Instead, they raided the house and arrested both Ken and LaToya. The two of them were immediately separated. I get to the precinct, and these two detectives come in, and they say, you're being accused of a murder. And I'm like, yeah, right, you can't be serious. And, you know, I'm thinking, you know, murder, somebody got shot, you know, drive-by or something. The moment the guy says fire, I'm like, yeah, right, you can't be serious, you're nuts. And I was arrested and booked into the county jail. What Ken didn't know was at the same time he was home with LaToya and Keon, a crime took place about three blocks away. Someone threw a Molotov cocktail into the second floor window of a home. Two children were killed. Ten-year-old Rayland Vaughn and his baby sister, Tamaya. The other people in the building were able to escape. And the police were accusing both Ken and LaToya of these murders. Did you even know how to make a Molotov cocktail? I did not even know what the Molotov cocktail was. You still can't even say it. (laughs) Yeah. My trial attorney literally spent 45 minutes trying to explain to me what a Molotov cocktail was. Turns out the police had an alleged witness, 13-year-old Brandon Vaughn, the brother of the two children who were killed. Brandon told police he saw Ken throw the Molotov cocktail through the window and that he thought Ken might have done it out of anger at his mother's boyfriend, Ronrico Simmons. Brandon said that Ken had it out for Ronrico because of a fling he had with LaToya while she and Ken were dating. According to Brandon, he was on his porch that night and saw Ken get out of a green Plymouth neon, throw the bomb into the house, get back into the passenger seat, and speed off. And he said that the car belonged to LaToya. Ken and LaToya were both charged with two counts of murder, four counts of attempted murder, and one count of arson. So I want to ask you, you know, when you find out that Ken is arrested for a horrible murder of two children, what was that like for you? I am the old saying, your world turns black. I experienced it. I couldn't see I couldn't focus. I couldn't talk. And then I started making phone calls, asking questions. What's going on? You know, what's the truth in this? And did you think there was any possibility Ken could have done something like this? Absolutely not. 
He was that kid that wouldn't let me burn a candle for 24 hours. So I knew Molotov cocktail, no way. This episode is underwritten by AIG, a leading global insurance company. AIG is committed to corporate social responsibility and to making a positive difference in the lives of its employees and in the communities where we work and live. In light of the compelling need for pro bono legal assistance and in recognition of AIG's commitment to criminal and social justice reform, the AIG pro bono program provides free legal services and other support to underrepresented communities and individuals. On September 15, 2005, Ken and Latoya went to trial. They were tried together, but they each had separate juries. The prosecutor was Assistant Prosecuting Attorney Patrick Muscat. Muscat called an expert from the state crime lab who had tested Ken's clothes the night he was arrested, after the police had taken them as evidence. The expert testified that Ken's clothes had an accelerant on them. A man named Stanley January Jr. testified that Ken confessed to him while they were in the Wayne County Jail together, and that Ken told him he didn't think the children were home. Muscat also called the alleged witness to the crime 13-year-old Brandon Vaughn. He was one of the survivors of the fire that night and the older brother of the victims. Brandon was also the one who pointed police to Ken and Latoya in the first place. At trial, Brandon said he saw Ken get into the passenger side of Latoya's car, but he altered his testimony a bit from what he originally told police. He said that he actually wasn't on the porch when he saw Ken get out of the car. He was in his bed. The only evidence the state actually had against Ken was this altered witness testimony and the alleged accelerant-covered clothes. Ken and LaToya's defense was weak, though. Their attorneys called just four witnesses to the stand, two of whom were alibi witnesses. And they did not present any evidence to refute the state crime lab. They did not point out that Ken had worked at the towing company earlier that night and that, since trucks typically carry gasoline, it's likely that Ken could have had some sort of accelerant on him from that. Latoya ended up being acquitted of all charges, but as for Ken, his jury found him guilty, and he was convicted of one count of arson, four counts of attempted murder, and two counts of murder. He was sentenced to life in prison without parole. When Ken got to prison, he got right to work. He's a natural achiever and says he finished getting his GED within six weeks of his conviction. And he appealed his conviction right away. But in 2007, he was denied. He was denied again in 2010, and then again and again. Did you do any crying in prison? Almost certainly. Um, Losses are hard. You know, the court system is hard. I absolutely cried a few times. All the while, his mom, Tracy, was paying for the attorneys and expenses for Ken's appeals. It's hard to continue to say, hey, I need 20 grand, right? That's somebody's life savings. Where where are you getting this money? That's a lot of money. Granddad, mostly, I worked. Um, I had parties, you know, we... 
We did what we had to do. We sold food. We had t-shirts made. We sold shirts. And on a monthly basis, the money was there. But they kept losing. Eventually, Tracy had to wonder. It took me a long time to ask him. You know, because I did. As a mother, I asked. Come on now, tell me something. Did you? He said, absolutely not. And I knew in my heart he didn't. And, you know, she'd sacrificed so much to continue paying lawyers and private investigators, and the result was repeatedly the same. No matter how much money we spent, no matter how much time we spent, we were still losing. And when that question came, I felt like her faith was wavering. But it wasn't. Tracy pushed on with her son to fight for his freedom. I knew my son was innocent. I knew. My gut, my soul, me knowing him, I knew he was innocent. So I guess listeners might be wondering, how do you have the same case and one person gets off and one person gets convicted? Well, that's the $10 million question, isn't it? This is David Williams. He's a staff attorney at the Western Michigan University Cooley Innocence Project. David and the WMU Cooley Innocence Project came across Ken's case back in 2016, and they saw several factors that pointed towards his innocence. The, the two biggest factors was the use of a jailhouse snitch and also the testimony of the star witness, uh, Brendan Vaughn, who we knew to be unreliable because he told a different story about four different times. They started from the beginning. They gathered all the available evidence, and while reviewing it, they stumbled on something new. David says they uncovered memos that had not previously been disclosed to Ken's defense. So um, we actually had memos that we found uh, during the course of our investigation from the police and the prosecutors. And they're saying, you know, this witness, this kid, Brandon, he's a very inconsistent. We got to get something. And all of a sudden, this jailhouse snitch materializes just overnight. David believes that this suggests the prosecution was worried they wouldn't get a conviction on Brandon's testimony alone. And so the prosecution called Stanley January Jr. to testify. A memo dated August 3rd, 2005, requested that the detectives speak with Ken's cellmates to see if Ken said anything to them. By the end of the month, Detective Moises Jimenez said he spoke with January, who allegedly said Nixon confessed to him. Shortly after that, January signed his plea agreement. Eventually, Ken's team spoke with January, who admitted he had actually seen the case on TV before he spoke with Ken. Another prisoner had also previously reported that January admitted to him that he made up a lie, hoping to make a deal with the prosecutor to get his own case dropped. David and the WMU Cooley Innocence Project worked on Ken's case for two years before they submitted it to the Conviction Integrity Unit, or CIU. While pending, the CIU completed a review of another case, which they deemed was indeed a wrongful conviction. Alexander Ansari, who had been in prison since 2012, had his conviction vacated. And guess what? The common denominator with Ken? Detective Moises Jimenez was also a detective in Ansari's case. So Detective Jimenez is currently being accused of uh, holding up a couple investigations, um, 
and it has something to deal with uh, cartel. Um, there has been prior misconduct from Jimenez before. Um, and I, I think at this point, it's pretty easy to say that uh, Detroit doesn't consider him a reliable witness anymore. And it wasn't just Jimenez. Many of the players involved in Ken's conviction have a history of misconduct. Prosecuting attorney Muscat, for example, prosecuted Devonte Sanford, who was a child when he was convicted. Sanford has since been exonerated. Muscat also prosecuted Thelonious Searcy for murder in 2004, which resulted in a life without parole sentence. Searcy is currently awaiting a new trial due to Muscat's alleged role in hiding evidence from the jury. Lieutenant James Tolbert was also involved in the Devonte Sanford case and had been placed on the Wayne County prosecutor's list of untrustworthy police officers, a special list to try and curb wrongful convictions in Detroit and surrounding cities in Wayne County. Finally, after months of review, the CIU ruled in Ken's case. And on February 18th, 2021, his conviction was vacated. After 16 years, Ken Nixon walked out of prison and was reunited with his family, friends, and supporters. It's like people just rushing to the car. And, you know, familiar faces, some unfamiliar faces. But my son was, you know, he's a little ways back. So he caught the glimpse of me coming and he just like football hug, boom. And he just held on. And we just rocked back and forth for a minute. And that's when like reality set in. Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, 
Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Soon after Ken got out, I caught up with him in his home. He was with his then-girlfriend, Wendy, and he was having a little trouble getting the hang of his cell phone. Welcome to the world of technology issues. Technical <laughs> <laughs> difficulties. Sorry. Yeah, I know. So how's it going? So, okay, what have you eaten so far? Everything. Everything. <laughs> McDonald's was his first meal. He said he wanted a real burger. <laughs> okay, that's <laughs> fair. <laughs> When Ken got out, the first thing he did was catch up on his 18-year-old son, Keon's life. They had maintained a relationship throughout his time in prison, but now he could be a hands-on dad. I was home in time to see his senior year of ball. Um, He is a standout football star. He just accepted a full-ride scholarship to Morgan State University to play football. He is a straight A and B kid. Nothing. I've never seen nothing less than a 3.8 with him. I'll get to see him off for college. I'll get to annoy the hell out of him while he's at college. <laughs> um, I Amazing, amazing timing when my exoneration came. Now that he's out, Ken is actually a full-time dad to two boys. Because while in prison, Ken found out he has another son, Omar, who was born a couple years before Keon. They also built a relationship while Ken was in prison, and have stayed in touch. Omar is now 19 years old. In addition to fortifying his relationships, Ken is now also focused on advocacy work. When I came home, I didn't like the fact that the people around us that have never been through what we've been through were dictating how we moved. In what way? It's the lawyers that are telling you which financial advisors to go to. It's the lawyers that are helping you get health care. It's the lawyers that are suggesting which therapists you talk to that are telling you what's okay and what's not okay. That bothers me because you've never been where I've been. You've never seen what I've seen. So it makes you feel like you're qualified to tell me what's acceptable and what's not. That was a struggle for me to accept. So... I laid a foundation, I poured some concrete, and now we stand there. Ken is a founding member of the Organization of Exonerees, a nonprofit whose membership, including its board, consists entirely of exonerees. We work to bring awareness to wrongful convictions. There are, I think the latest number that I've seen is 3,000 exonerees in this country, and those are just the ones we know about. We work to do the best we can with reentry and making sure that people have what they need. We work to be each other peer counselors. We work to make sure that if there's an innocent person in prison, 
if they don't have any supporters, we are their supporters. You know, we fly in, we go to court hearings, we go to parole hearings, we go to meetings with prosecutors, we go to meetings with people that don't technically understand what a wrongful conviction is. We deal with uh, bank accounts, we deal with driver's license, IDs, housing, healthcare, financial advisors. We deal with us. Our decisions are our own. And the goal, the purpose, our existence is based around us taking care of us. I asked Ken what he would tell other innocent people going through the same thing that he did. If you're innocent and you're fighting, don't stop fighting. No. know that we're doing everything we can to change the system. We understand you. We hear you. We're going to wreck this system. In January of this year, Ken filed a claim against the state of Michigan for compensation for his wrongful conviction. If you'd like to help support the work of the Organization of Exonerees, go to fundly.com slash organization dash of dash exonerees. Next time on Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling, Karen Bowes. My cell phone rang and it was my son. And he said the house was on fire. And I said, well, where is Robin? That's the biggest thing. And, uh... Nobody could locate her. Thank you for listening to Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling. Please support your local innocence organizations and go to the links in our bio to see how you can help. I'd like to thank our executive producers, Jason Flom and Kevin Wordis, as well as our senior producer, Annie Chelsea, researcher Lila Robinson, story editor Sonia Paul, with additional production by Jeff Clyburn and Connor Hall. The music in this production is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction, on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast, and on Twitter at Wrongful Conviction, as well as at Lava for Good on all three platforms. You can also follow me on both Instagram and Twitter at Maggie Freeling. Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling is a production of Lava for Good Podcasts, in association with Signal Company Number One. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. 
Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.